Let's Talk Native is produced at the Eltian Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Talk Native. I am John Kane. I am your host, and I'm I'm happy to be here. Look, we've done a couple of uh, podcasts over the last uh, few days that uh, we didn't have video to, so uh, it's good to be back in front of you. Um, I do have to say, um, in reference to those uh, the last two podcasts, I want to thank the Game, my friend Paul Delarone, for joining me uh, via the phone for those podcasts. Uh, they were they were really informative. I know many of you who listened to the podcast uh, responded very favorably towards uh, towards having uh, Dego join me, and you know that's a history that needs to be told, and um, and there's nobody who tells it better than uh, than Dego doing the gay. So uh, again, I want to thank Paul for joining me, and for uh, and, and encourage you if you haven't seen or, or caught those two podcasts, uh, there are numbers of, of Five fourteen and five fifteen. So, if you want to look at in the podcast library for those, uh, by all means, check it out. You'll 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 be glad you did if you haven't heard them already. All right. Um, just as a matter of news, I've talked quite a bit about Deborah Halland uh, being nominated for the Interior Secretary position, uh, cabinet level position, first Native person, first Native woman uh, nominated for such. Uh, she was confirmed yesterday. Uh, I think fifty-four to forty-six uh, in the Senate, they confirmed her for the position of Interior Secretary. So, um, done a couple of shows where I questioned what that really means, um, especially for the Seneca Nation in their battle over uh, gaming revenue. Uh, may mean nothing if nobody you know holds her to task. If nobody puts the the question to her, if the Seneca Nation is not successful in getting the interior department or even trying to get the interior department to weigh in on this, um, it may all be a moot point. So I guess uh, for most of us, we're just going to have to wait and see how this thing how this thing plays out. All right. What I want to really talk about today is uh, last night's Board of Education meeting at Cambridge Central High School. For those of you who've been following, and, and, and I know I've done a couple of shows on this, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is the mascot issue. The high school that I graduated from, which is in Cambridge, New York, uh, which is out close to the Vermont border on the eastern part of New York State, their mascot and nickname um, is uh, they're the Cambridge Indians. Uh, it's what they've been for 50, 60, 70. Some people say 100 years. I don't think that's true. Um, but it's what they've been. And of course, the argument for keeping it is that's what it's been. So that's what it should be. I have really pressed this whole issue and tried to, in my own mind, as a, as a writer, a storyteller, a speaker, how could I justify, how could I make that argument if I, if I wanted to? If I wanted to try to tell the story that would back up and support and justify a, a village, a town that is 
99 you know percent white i mean if, if a town that is that white how would you justify them utilizing native people for a mascot i mean in in spite of all the the, the claim to history which none of it is pretty i mean look native people were run out of that land the place that cambridge exists on was once as as all of the land was occupied by native people well, what happened to them they don't know they don't have any you know uh, in-depth knowledge of the uh, of the native history of the area they don't even know when they call themselves indians they don't even know what indians they're talking about might be mohican might be mohican might be mohawks haudenosaunee could be pequot could be hurons they, they don't know and frankly they don't care because that's not what it's about. It's not about us. It's about them. It's about them erasing the history and recreating an image of a native person that has characteristics that they want to claim. You know, noble, savage, you know, fierce, strong, honorable, you know, all of all of that stuff. Whether any of that stuff is true or not, because I don't know how white people who committed genocide against the people would view those people with any of those characteristics, but that's what they did, right? And so that's why they claim it. But anyway, the board meeting took place last night where the vote was supposed to happen. And, and I, when I say supposed to happen, let me be clear. I raised this issue at a Cambridge Central School board meeting on uh, November, back the, the second week of November. Uh, I went back for the December board meeting and made sure my request was a formal request that they remove the, the mascot. In December, between the month of November and December, there was already some movement by the board to address this issue. By December, they had announced it was clear that they had a procedure that was going to involve receiving emails, letters, packages, whatever, from, uh, from anybody concerned about the issue, giving any information that they might have, their opinions, their personal stories, whatever they had. They wanted an, uh, an influx of information that they could um, interpret and evaluate and then make a decision in the March Board of Education meeting. That was the plan. And that was the plan in December. That was the plan in January. And that was the plan in February. So then, <laughs> then March rolls around. And, you know, I, I, it's funny because I just done a radio interview for the, the public radio station out in that part of New York State. Um, and the, the interviewer asked about the vote that was supposed to take place last night. And I said, eh, I'm not sure the one's going to take place. I know that was the plan, but it sounds like they're hedging on, on uh, taking a vote. And so what they did was they created... And and why they? Let me let me be clear. I'm talking about the superintendent now. The superintendent um, uh, Doug Silvernell, who I have had multiple conversations with. I've had many email exchanges with him and the board president uh, Neil Gifford. Um, I've been paid plenty of lip service from these guys and how much they appreciate the information that I provided them and all that other stuff. Um, but in the eleventh hour, at at the time when when it was already prescribed, they would hold this vote. And, and let me say this, if they had that vote last night, there is little question that the vote would have been three to one in favor of retiring the Indians name and mascot. Normally that board has five people, but one person resigned over this issue um, after the, I think the November um, or December meeting. So 
a four-person board, three of them would have, and, and we know they would have because they essentially have said they would have, <clears throat> voted to retire the, the mascot. But they didn't get that opportunity. Instead, Doug Silvernell, the, the superintendent, put forth a variety of options that would allow them to avoid taking a vote last night. They, they said, well, the first option is we could just uh, accept the mascot as it stands and, and not have a vote. And, and, of course, none of them accepted that. The other option would have been to, to hold a vote, you know, to retire or keep the, the mascot. Um, a third option was to um, vote to keep the name Indians but, but um, retire the, uh, the white-faced logo, the white-faced Indian logo that they have for their, their mascot. And then the fourth option was um, we're going to extend the timetable. We're not going to hold a vote tonight. We'll, uh, we'll vote sometime before the end of the school year. And of course, they they chose the later the, the latter option. And of course, this option also involved hiring a consulting firm, a, a mediation firm that was somehow going to help them. And by help, what they really meant was provide enough cover um, for them to retire the mascot and not invoke the wrath of uh, of the loudmouth bullies of, of of Cambridge, New York. Which there are plenty. I mean, I have been the subject of of paid advertisements in the local Cambridge paper, a paper they call the Eagle, for the last four or five weeks. I mean, and by name. I don't mean just referencing me. In fact, last night, one of the board members, when they were they were sorting out which um, resolution they were going to adopt last night, because they sure as hell weren't going to vote, one board member stood up and she said, or not stood up, but she, this was all done virtually, by the way. Um, she said that she didn't have a problem with the debate over the issue. She had a problem with the way um, the debate began and how it occurred. She literally said that I, because when the activists came to town, meaning me, and yelled at the board and belittled the town, that's where she had a problem. Now, I conferred with the other board members, and I said, do you recall me insulting or yelling at you or belittling the town? And look, there are no question that there's assholes in Cambridge. <laughs> let's, let's not edge, you know, dance around this thing. Um, there's, there's a couple of people who are, are just overtly racist that have, are the big mouths out there. And, and I don't know if there may only be three or four of them, but they're the ones who, who are, pounding the desks in front of uh, in front of board members threatening to go to board members houses and uh, and mad because the COVID-19 has forced some of these board meetings to be virtual it says well we need to go to their houses then I'm not doing that and I'm not calling Cambridge a racist community what I did do was constantly refer to the use of native mascots as a race-based mascot and of course I say race-based but the only race used is, is us, right? We're the only ones used for this. Some of these, those, those loud mouths, those bullies, who actually had face-to-face -face meetings with, you know, with select numbers, groups of these uh, board members, flat out challenged the notion that Indians is a race-based mascot. I mean, it's by definition a race-based mascot, but, but they are so adamant in their position and so vocal and and threatening with their position on this, that they 
flat out reject the notion that calling themselves Indians, white people calling themselves Indians, they deny that that is a race-based mascot. And I don't know how you even have a conversation with people that are that ignorant, but, but there you have it. So now look, there were many of us and there's, there's a pretty solid group of social justice advocates in, in the Cambridge uh, school district who I've had plenty of conversations with over the last several months. And of course, I myself, I'm really disappointed in what the, um, what the school board did last night. I mean, look, I feel like I've had literally had smoke blown up my ass for three months. You know, lip service followed by capitulation is, uh, is it's insulting. And, and, and I do feel like I've been insulted because if you know that three of your board members clearly know that this, this mascot has to be retired, but the only reason you avoid taking a vote is because one board member is saying that she's not happy and that you're either scared of local town, the townspeople, or feel in some way that you owe them more consideration when look for three months, they, everybody had an opportunity to, to send an email, send an article, send in, you know, uh, uh, reports and studies and all that stuff. And most of that side, all they could do is say, it's been the mascot. So it should be the mascot. I was a high school athlete, at, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and you're trying to take away my cherished memories. They, they always use the word beloved in front of mascot. You can't take away our beloved mascot. Well, it isn't beloved, not by all. And that's that's all I got. All I got was emotional responses from from certain people who who felt like that mascot represented the best part of their lives, and and they and they flat out say that some of them. Um, that is set against every native community, every nation, every native organization, every native scholar, every native activist, every native leader. Um, every, you know, uh, psychological, the American Psychological Association, uh, the, the state of New York, uh, the, the, the federal education department, the U.S. education department, they've all been clear in their opposition to the use of native people for, for high school mascots. So all piles of evidence on one side of the conversation and emotional attachment on the other side. And that's, that's really all the, the board ever had to um, evaluate. And if the other side did have some compelling justification, because, you know, look, I thought about this, and, and I gave this some, some real consideration. I mean, other than Notre Dame, uh, the University of Notre Dame calling themselves the Irishman, the only other example that I could, I could come up with, with white people using a race, um, to mock was blackface. And, and, and that was really a thing. I mean, and Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, you know, has, has had to withstand, you know, the, his use of blackface, Ted Danson, you know, an uh, actor who was dating Whoopi Goldberg at the time had to withstand, you've got us senators and, and judges. I mean, all these people have, have, <laughs> You know, they've got to beat this back. Why? Because it was a thing. I mean, it, during the vaudeville era of American entertainment, you know, coming out of, you know, uh, Jim Crow era uh, in the 19, 
19, the 1910s and 20s and, and all of that, you're all the way up through uh, coming out of silent film. This idea of white men, Al Jolson, white men wearing blackface and entertaining white people, literally imitating, you know, and look, they it wasn't like they were really trying to pass. This wasn't black passing. This was like, exaggerated blackface and this was acceptable i mean by white people and and it was never meant to imitate black people as if black people had these um endearing characteristics it was to poke fun at black people so when when you had al jolson or, or any of these vaudeville stars in blackface you know, doing the whole black minstrel thing it was poking fun at black people so it wasn't necessarily recreating in American, you know, uh, you know, consciousness what a black person was. It was them performing and utilizing, you know, to a certain extent, it, it was recognizing some of the talents that were were really starting to emerge in terms of black musicians and black artists and that kind of stuff. But this blackface was considered performance art of its time. And at one time, I think Al Jolson was considered the best, uh, the best entertainer in the United States. But it's not acceptable anymore. And in fact, it was never right. And that's the closest thing that I can come up up to, I mean, up with is as far as an analogy to what Native people experience. Because look, if blackface is wrong, red face is wrong. And I realized that blackface was acceptable to the to the dominant culture at one time. And I I, I understand that red face and, and native mascots was acceptable at one time, but it was never accepted by us, even if we endured it. Even and I'm look and, and to be clear, there are some native people who are okay with it. I look, I know a guy who used to go to Washington football games, he'd actually take the warrior flag and hold it out over, he'd get like a, you know, uh, you know, a, a field side seat and hold it over. I mean, I know the guy. I'm not going to mention my name, but I know the guy. I mean, and I know, I mean, in Cambridge, there's a native family and I've talked about them before here. They, they're, they were friends of mine. I mean, my wife is, is their first cousin and they love being the Cambridge Indians. To be clear, that's where they live. That's where they've essentially always lived. They've never had a relationship to native community, to native culture, to you know, to, to native governance. And in fact, their affiliation would either be considered Oneida um, or Onondaga, depending whether you're which generation, because uh, because of matrilineal you know uh, designation. Um, the the main spokesperson for this family, his grandfather was Oneida, but his father was Onondaga. Both the Onondaga Nation and, in fact, the entire Haudenosaunee have condemned the use of Native mascots. And the Oneida Nation has been, you know, they've actually been on the forefront of challenging the Washington football team and, and the use of Native mascots. They, they helped fund Cooperstown, I believe, and, and I could be wrong, but I know there was, there was dollars that were offered up by the Oneida Nation at the time for schools who were changing their mascot. And this has been something that has been called for. I mean, the state called for this change 20 years ago. So shame on Cambridge that 
even after not just myself, but but plenty of people in the town called for this removal and they adopted a plan to hold a vote on their March Board of Education meeting. They balked. They caved. They capitulated and they capitulated to to the other side, knowing that they must retire the mascot. And that's the thing. They didn't vote to keep it. I, I, so I want to be clear. This, this, this wasn't a vote, you know, to keep the mascot. This was the delaying of the vote. And, and of course the problem is they, they, you know, they pitched this elaborate plan that involves bringing in a mediator and um, providing all of the information. They've got like 900, almost almost a thousand pages of information, emails and information, you know, and not just petitions and, and emails, but, but, but reports and studies and all of this stuff, um, formal statements um, and position papers, tribal council resolutions, all this stuff, a massive pile of information. They're going to put this in front of this mediator. Then they're going to create what they're calling um, some sort of community engagement. All this happening during a pandemic. So I don't know how you're going to bring in people from the community together. And there's been some alluding to my being invited to part of this. And we'll see if that happens because there was a constant drumbeat of John Kane is not from here. He doesn't live here. He shouldn't have a voice. Now, of course, there was also a constant drumbeat that, uh, that my voice shouldn't be considered anyway, because I'm somehow biased or, or actually, you know, having white people call me racist is, you know, that's just, just too rich. There was actually some concern. <laughs> I got to throw this one because it is funny. Um, about COVID-19 and that I should have been prohibited from going to Cambridge because I because the native guy might bring disease to white people. Now, I just can't get past the irony of, of a white community being concerned about a native guy bringing disease to them. And if I have to explain this to you, I don't know what the hell you're listening to this podcast for. <laughs> so, I, so I won't get into that. But uh, uh, it's, it, the absurdity is, is, just, is just too rich. But um, so we'll see. They're going to try to, again, they're going to select and then they're going uh, a mediator. They're going to pass a resolution to, to contract with a, res with a mediator. They're going to exchange information. They're going to have community engagement. They're going to, you know, apparently look for some recommendation that comes. This is an arbitration. It's not binding arbitration. You know how I feel about that. But they are looking to the mediator to come up with a way essentially to retire the mascot that will somehow appease the, you know, the, the, the pitchfork uh, and, <laughs> and torch carrying townspeople, uh, you know, of Cambridge. And this is all supposed to happen during a pandemic while there's um, a board elections coming up. There's a budget that's got to be passed. Um, there are, they are struggling with, you know, catching up their, their seniors, their graduating seniors this year because of the pandemic. Um, I, I heard that there may be over a half dozen seniors that are at risk of not being able to graduate because of you know, what, what's happening with, with remote learning. They have a graduation to plan. And <laughs> the big one is their football season is about to start. Yeah, yeah, you heard me. They are going to play their football season um, now. They've actually started to practice now because football is so important 
to to a school like Cambridge and the mascot issue um, that they are advancing. You know, I think it might be a shortened season, but they're going to they're going to push forward and have their delayed football season start. Uh, I think their first game is in a, in a week or two. So all this is going to happen while they're trying to do community engagement over the mascot, which is tied directly to this notion of Cambridge football. I don't know how they're going to pull it off. You know, and I also don't know, I can't imagine how many Cambridge, the town's folks are going to participate in this. I'll, I'll make the trip. Look, and, and I'll, we'll, I'll work my podcast schedule around it. I'll go out there and I, and I'll, I will be heard. And for those who thought I yelled at them before, as far as I'm concerned, I'm taking the gloves off. I'm going to call it, call it the way I see it. And, and we're going to, we're going to challenge this thing. There's no question in my mind that Cambridge is not going to maintain Indians as their mascot. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull off this strategy that they're trying to employ now <clears throat> before the end of the school year, as they say they're going to. I also don't know that the strategy works. I mean, I don't know how this is going to somehow appease the townspeople who are, you know, who are crying foul over this whole thing. Even though the state called for this removal 20 years ago and Cambridge ignored it, they've tried to make this um, an issue that, that, that it's only about me. And so it turns into John Kane versus Dylan Hanyost, who is the, you know, uh, the, the native guy pushing the issue in, in Cambridge. And it really isn't about either one of us. It's about whether kids should be taught that stereotypes are okay. It's about whether kids should be taught that this image, this time-stamped image of what a native person is, is, is what they should leave their high school with or, or their grade school with. That no, no um, education associated with who we are, not who we were, but who we are, or where we went, why we are, you know, how did we lose the land to Cambridge? None, none of that stuff is being covered here. But when I explain to people how, why this is important, I get back to this, this notion that the very people that we're dealing with as policymakers at the state level or the federal level, you know, or, or, or any place for that matter, uh, whether it's businesses, not just necessarily even government, are people who were raised in these environments that were that enabled that were they were allowed and and taught that this stereotype is what a native person is. This is these are the people that we're dealing with today. So we start from a, a, a position of ignorance. I once uh, you know I, I was once at a meeting with a senior uh, official from the U.S. Department of, Com of Commerce who had come to some incubator down in the southern tier near Seneca Territory. And I went there with Ross John. Ross, who was you know, my friend and uh, uh, he uh, sits on council, <clears throat> a, a prominent business person here in Seneca Territory. He was introduced to this senior official from the uh, Department of Commerce. And he was introduced as a, one of the more successful um, Seneca entrepreneurs. And the, and the comments department guy literally said, oh, do you sell beads and crafts? His idea, this white man's idea of what a successful native entrepreneur was, was somebody who sold beadwork. Now, look, 
I have no problem. I, I'm not condemning beadwork. But just the idea that somebody from the government who was probably raised with this notion of what a native stereotype was, <clears throat> was so embedded in his thought process that the immediate thing that he came to when being introduced to a business person, a native business person, was they must sell beads. Yeah. So that's what we deal with. So that's why I am passionate about ending this stereotyping and this mockery. Because we have to deal with you folks. So not only is it harmful to native people to have to experience this moronic practice, this racist practice, but it's damaging to you because you grow up ignorant. You are being taught something that is a false narrative and that is wrong. And it becomes part of your understanding of who we are, which is no understanding at all. I heard on NPR two weeks ago that 40% of Americans don't even know that native people still exist. And over 70% don't know anything about native people as, as, as a contemporary people um, living, living on, on the same stretch of land. And that's not just sad. It's intentional. Mascots erase history. They don't provide history. They erase culture. They erase, erase heritage. They provide none of it. So we'll see how the next several months play out in Cambridge. And I'll be making the trip out there. So you'll probably hear me do more shows on the subject. And I'll say it flat out. I won't rest until it's gone. And it doesn't stop with Cambridge. There, right now, there, there, are, there are three other schools that I'm in conversations with who are asking me to help them understand the problem that Native Mascots represents. It's what I do. It's what I do here, and it's what I do when I travel. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, I'll keep you updated as this plays out. Um, yeah, last night was a, was a bit of a hit, but it could have uh, been ended last night. So it looks like it'll be in a couple of months, we hope. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yeah, <laughs>